You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Working hard today. I had to carry out my own podium, man. <laughs> you know, funny thing about when the Lord works and moves in your life, it manifests in different ways, doesn't it? And you know, uh, I have watched over the years when God is moving in our midst, him do several different things. And certainly he's not limited to what I'm about to show you. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to do it. But I've seen seven ways that God tends to work and move. And that's why we're going to be uh, in this series called Holistic Church, where we look at the seven holistic different ways that God moves and works and manifests through this particular church. And by the way, this list could grow or it could shrink, but that's really up to him. But we see some of those things are like when we share Christ, you know, when we've been filled with him, we begin to have this desire to share Christ with other people. We serve the poor. Um, and under-resourced, and that's what we're going to primarily be talking about today, and we're generous, and if I were to kind of honor a couple in our church, like let's say we had this couple that was really rich, and I were to invite them down to the front and tell you people to just move over where they could sit there in the seats of honor, because we want to honor City Tribe gold members who give a lot of money. Well, most of you would feel awkward about that, wouldn't you? You'd be like, yeah, that, that doesn't fit here, does it? Um, they're not like gold members at, at City Tribe Church. And the reason that they're not is because of this passage I'm about to read to you, James 2, 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if you favor some people over others. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and wearing expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention, the good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So what we know here is that uh, we don't want to show favoritism to the rich over the poor. And we're so grateful for those that have stepped up financially to help support the work of the ministry here. But I got to tell you, we're not going to like name buildings after big givers. We're not going to like put plaques on the walls or give monuments to people who give a lot of money. I'm a pastor, not a pimp. Okay. And we're not going to like pay for monuments and stuff like that. Um, but one of the things that you got to know about most of the people that I know that contribute their resources here, they don't want any monuments in their name. They want to remain anonymous like Jesus taught us to do, and they give out of the overflow of what God is doing in their hearts. And most people, if you're the type of person that would come to this church, you want to help the under-resourced. You, you don't want special treatment. You want to serve others, particularly the the poor. And by the way, next week, we're going to talk about when helping hurts because we know sometimes just giving a handout doesn't really help anyone. It just exacerbates the problem sometimes. And we'll unpack that next Sunday. But um, today, we're going to ask the question, what is the best way to help? 
you know? Um, and I'll tell you more about that here in just a minute. Um, and I know most of you want to help the under-resourced. And here's the thing is that some of you think, well, that person looks poor. You ever know? You, there is a look, right? You, you think, oh, that person's poor. But what you don't realize is that among us are those that look, quote-unquote, normal, that are living well below the poverty level. So you can't always judge a book by its cover. So what is, what is it that we can do? Well, I'll tell you here in just a minute, but before I do, I need to tell you that I was forced to think about my, um, I guess, mindset regarding the rich and the poor on a trip to Rio, Brazil. I was doing ministry there. We went to Rio and beautiful city. And the thing I love about Rio the most is not the big statue, but it is the churrascarias. Do we know about churrascarias? Okay, uh, there's those Brazilian steakhouses, okay? And we have them here, but they're not as good here, and the meat tastes better there, and you know how cheap I am, so it's like a lot cheaper and more affordable there. And then you just eat the best cuts of meat, and they just keep it coming. And so we got to Brazil, we got to Rio this particular trip, and I said, I told the team, I said, hey, look, tonight, we gotta go. Like, our first day here, in case we get too busy doing ministry, we gotta go to churrascaria tonight, dude. We gotta lock it down in case we get too busy. And make sure not miss out on it. So we went day one, night one. We went to the Shuhaskaria. Manager was like, and you got to say it in a certain way. Shuhaskaria. Can you say it with me real quick when I point to you right here? We go. Shuhaskaria. Okay. okay. Some of you are like, Shuhaskaria. Like that. Anyways, we got there and man, they just kept it coming. It's like beef, every cut of beef you can make. It was wonderful. It's a vegetarian's nightmare, you know. Uh, a lot of us, we don't eat anything unless it can run for its life, you know. And so we, we were just loving it, um, eating at the Shuascaria. And then we continued on our trip, and we we're ministering to these pastors and some of the local pastors there. They're like, hey, Pastor Doug, we want to take your team somewhere uniquely Brazilian. Where? You know what they said? Shuaskaria. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm so like, okay. So we go to the Shuaskaria again a second time in a couple of days, and we're loading up, you know, we're eating, and it, it, it tasted so good. I mean, even when you're full, it still tastes good. It's that good. And so then a couple of days pass, and we're teaching these pastors, you know, and this little humble pastor walks up to me, and his name was Pastor Jaime. And Jaime looked like just kind of a poor pastor that I've met a lot of times in third world environments. And in Brazil, they have these slums or these ghettos that are called the favelas. And the favelas are run by the drug cartels. So when you drive in, there are going to be these young guys on motorcycles and machine guns, okay? And you cannot go into the favelas unless you have permission to go in. Well, I, I figured Pastor Jaime, he just looked like you know, a little pastor from the favela or whatever like that. And he comes up to me in a very humble way. He's like, Pastor Doug, will you please come and speak at my church this Sunday? And I got to be honest with you, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I've had a good trip so far. Um, I know the favelas are dangerous and I've been there before, but I just don't, you know, don't know if I should risk it today, you know, and I don't know if I really want to go and preach in a favela. That's what I was thinking, right? But then the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and it's like, Doug, don't be a jerkwad. The Holy, the Holy Spirit didn't call me a jerkwad. That was probably my mind saying that. But um, anyways, uh, so I said, Pastor Jaime, it would be an honor to preach at your church this Sunday. So I'm thinking I'm going to go to this favela and, you know, you know, the whole deal. And he got there to pick us up that day. And on the way, I find out Pastor Jaime 
is not, as I thought, a pastor of a poor little church in the favela, but um, what I find out is he's also, in addition to being a pastor, he's an attorney. In addition to being an attorney and a pastor, he's also the president of a major Christian denomination throughout the, all of Brazil. And we get to his church, and it's not like parking, you, you drive in, like his parking spot, you drive into the building inside, and you go in there, and I walk into the auditorium, and it's like this big expanse of Brazilians, man, it was beautiful, this big old massive church, and uh, I, I gave this little word, and God moved, and all these people were down front, and the music was beautiful and wonderful, and God was just there, and it was an amazing experience. And after church, the Brazilians don't do what we do. You know, after church, we're like tacos, okay? But they, like, no, they, they don't eat right after church. Their bodies are on a little bit different clock. And so Pastor Jaime says, I, I'm expecting us to go to lunch or something. And Pastor Jaime's like, no, oh, we're going to go do some more ministry. And so then he takes us into the favela. And because he has permission to go in from the cartels, he can go in and we pass the guys on their motorcycles and their machine guns and uh, we go through and he shows us two different churches that his church is supporting in the favelas, ministering to loving the poor um, and it was beautiful to watch. And then after we got done at the favela, by this time, you know, it's like four o'clock in the afternoon and uh, he says, Doug, I want to take you and your team somewhere uniquely Brazilian. <laughs> and you know what it is. Churrascaria. <laughs> so we go in for the third time in one week, man. We had churrascaria. And I think that trip probably took like 30 years off my life or something like that. So um, I, I had to eat vegetarian a long time after that. But it was wonderful and beautiful. What was it I experienced or what I learned from God in my experience in Rio with Pastor Jaime. I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but sometimes those who appear to be poor are what we call the rich poor. Go with me back to James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised for those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. Now, what law are they breaking? Because remember, James's audience was not under American, like Texas law, like we are here in the United States. So he was referring back to the Levitical law that the Jewish people were under. Let me take you back to Leviticus chapter 19, I believe it's verse 15, where the scriptures say, do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. So James is addressing an imbalance of justice between rich and poor. And the imbalance was being done in two ways. He's confronting people, number one, who were oppressing the poor in the legal system, if you follow me. And I, uh, I think we know today that there are a fair number of people who 
you know, have the money to get off in court because they can afford better attorneys in our context. But in James's context, did you know that the poor were not even allowed to take the rich to court for any reason? They didn't even have that right to take the rich to court. That's how imbalanced it was. We also know that the debt poverty cycle continues because of bad practices by lending institutions. And so perhaps we see it to a degree here in the United States, but in other countries, it's pretty severe. If you go to Mexico, our ministry partners there would tell you that there are advertised interest rates for loans. But if you're amongst the poor, you could sometimes pay as much as 60% per year on a loan. And in Liberia, Africa, it's even worse. Oh, there are the advertised rates. But if you're amongst the poor and you really read the fine print, it could be as high as 100% interest on a loan per year. And it perpetuates this cycle. And this is very similar to the oppression that was taking place that James was confronting. But the second thing they do is they slander the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do you think that God feels about politicians who take God's name in vain to try and convince their constituents how tough they are? Or how do you think that God feels about Artists who on national television blaspheme the name of God to drive clicks, attention, ratings, and money in their own wealthy pockets. And so whether it's politicians, pop stars, or prosperity preachers, I think we do well to pay attention to what James says in the next couple of verses. Look at James 5.1. Look here, you rich people. Americans weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you're counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure that you've accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields, who ha- they've reached the ears of the Lord of Heaven's armies. You spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire on Amazon.com. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So the context that James is speaking to is certainly it's a blasphemous, oppressive Roman government. But the hard part to swallow is that it was an oppressive religious elite that were cheating field workers out of a fair wage in order to live in the lap of luxury. See, and I've sometimes questioned whether or not the luxury that we enjoy in America is on the backs of people of other countries that are working for unfair wages. And I sometimes wonder if my consumption habits are causing them to cry out to God. Because you can see throughout the whole of Scripture, when people start crying out to God because of oppression, he moves and he works. If you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, why were these cities destroyed? In case you're not familiar with the story, I'll take you to Genesis 18.20. 
So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard the great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. Now, certainly Sodom and Gomorrah had some sexual sin issues that brought about their demise, but that's not all. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. So what is it that we do for those who are crying out who are poor? Well, I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but you need to know, first of all, that I do not believe in what's called the prosperity gospel that says everyone who's faithful to God financially is going to be rich. At the same time, I do believe that God very often blesses people financially when they follow his biblical principles of stewardship. His blessing is far more comprehensive than just mere money. It's the ability to enjoy the money that you do have, whether it's a lot or a little. It's also the blessing of rich relationships with other brothers and sisters who are in Christ. That is God's blessing. I also do believe that it is wise to practice what's called tithing, that Jesus affirms in Matthew 23 as a means to alleviate the suffering of the poor, both locally and internationally. I also need you to know that I do not believe in the poverty gospel that says people are more righteous for being poor. Some of our street friends that are a part of our church family have told me stories about people who have nothing that would stab you in the back in order to fuel their own addictions. And so we know there are four categories of people. There are the righteous poor, the righteous rich, the wicked poor, and the wicked rich, right? Either we want to be righteous, whether we're rich or poor, see? So when the decision was being made as to where we would plant and start this church back in the mid-2000s, I had people, you know, saying, hey, you know, we need to plant outside 1604, the outer loop, way out there, you know, um, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, and God loves people, and everywhere that there are people, God wants good churches, right? And I also had well-meaning people tell me, hey, you know, don't plant and target the urban working poor or younger people because they don't have any what? Money. <laughs> yeah. So... We did the opposite of what they said. And um, in the early years of our church, the things started growing, right? Started picking up some momentum. So much so that there's a popular downtown blog that used to be called the Rivard Report. They've changed their name to something else recently. But the title of their article was where millennials worship, or younger generations at that time, where millennials worship in San Antonio. And the reporter, Becca McNeil, from the Rivard Report, asked me in the interview, she said, Doug, how do you target millennials? Because you got so many in your church. How do you target millennials to get them to come to your church? And I said, we don't. In fact, I said, when people come to our church, 
They might be greeted by someone who's homeless, like that lives under a bridge at the door, or they might be greeted by someone that looks like a grandma, you know, or just someone from an older generation. And she said, younger people crave authenticity. They love that. And I'm like, oh, good. I'm glad we got, I guess we got something right there, right? I didn't know that we were, we were getting what we were doing there. And the reason that that's significant is because in the early days of our church, and even to this day, we have a great representation of a lot of millennials in our church because millennials love a good cause, right? I mean, those of you of the millennial generation, you guys, I really love uh, about you that you guys love to serve in different ways. In fact, some of you perhaps remember back in the mid to late 2000s when you millennials were much younger there were all these different causes. Like, anybody remember the different causes? Like, say, uh, Tom's shoes. You know, you'd buy a pair, and a pair of shoes would go to a, a, a kid that needed it. Or Invisible Children, or To Write Love on Her Arms, or Compassion International. Great organization. Anybody remember any of these? Just show me your hands real quick. Okay, yeah. So, these were so in vogue back in those days because of the you, you millennials, which are a great generation. Well, here's what's happened since is that you millennials are aging and you're in your 30s now, which isn't so bad. The 30s aren't so bad. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But some of you millennials are in your early 40s now and you're a lot of you have got jobs, which, you know, you, you finally got out of your mom and dad's house. You know, you got a job. Some of you are married. You, you have kids and you, responsibilities. And you don't have as much time as you used to have to go and pursue all these causes, you know? In addition to that, we went through a global pandemic. And in addition to that, we went through all this social unrest and people are jacked up emotionally. And I know some people that used to be all about the cause, but now are just trying to keep their head above water emotionally. It's like, Doug, I don't have the energy to pursue causes to help people when I'm so wounded emotionally and so filled with anxiety. And then in addition to that, there's a new generation emerging like the Gen Zs, and they have their unique passions, desires, and that. And so all of a sudden, all these causes to serve the poor are no longer in vogue, no longer trendy. And that's where, as a pastor, I have to ask myself the hard question. Am I going to lead our church toward trends or truth? And I think you know the answer to the question. I have to lead us towards the truth of what the scriptures teach, and that is that we find God amongst the poor and must continue to serve whether it's trendy or not. And so let me answer the question, what do we do? And it's not going to be me answering the question, but it's actually going to be Matthew from the scriptures. And he shows us this scene of heaven at the judgment when the righteous who have fed those who are hungry and clothed those who are naked and visited those who are in prison at the judgment are honored by God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. He says, then the king Jesus will say to those on his right, come you who are what? Blessed. 
by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? I never would have forgotten your face. When did I see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to who? Me, he says. Now, one thing you have to understand about Matthew 25 is that it is intimately connected to Matthew chapter 7. And so go back with me to Matthew 7, and he tells us uh, what the words of Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I mean, prophecy is all the rage in a lot of churches, right? Cast out demons in your name. And that certainly, if there's a demon somewhere, you want to get rid of it, right? We do many miracles in your name. And then will I declare to them, look at those last words, I never knew you. It's about knowing. It's all about knowing. And these passages reveal something very significant about the kingdom of God. Is that the kingdom of God was then, is now, and will be in the future all about relationship. It's about relationship to him. And we connect with him oftentimes in and through serving the poor. So I summed it up in this brief statement. When I relate to the poor in relationship, I always get more. When I relate to the poor, I always get more. And I'm telling you, whether you're a pastor or parishioner, the current takes you away from this. So can we make this declaration together? When I relate to the poor, I always get more. I'll point to you. Ready? Here we go. When I relate to the poor, I always get more. So I remember going to an orphanage in Romania and Eastern Europe and seeing these children shaved heads sitting on beds and they were sitting there. It was the oddest scene. It was a room about this size and they were sitting on these beds holding themselves like this rocking back and forth. And we would sit down with those children and put our arms around them and relate to them and just try and be present for them. The bonding time was immediate. And when we left, they explained to us that the reason the children were holding themselves rocking back and forth is because they were so attention deprived that they were simulating a hug because they never got them. When we found that out, when we spent time with those children, who do you think received more? We did. I remember playing soccer on a trash heap in Mexico. And all of us had these little name tags at the event and the little boy that I, I guess, connected the most with and kind of enjoyed time with, his name tag said Jesus. And it reminded me of what my Lord said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to who? To me. 
to Jesus. Who do you think got more out of the soccer game that day? I can't even play soccer like, uh, you know, <laughs> but I still got more out of it because when I relate to the poor, I always get more, you know, lots of Mother Teresa's admirers that always ask her, you know, how do you keep going? She's an older lady, you know, before she passed. And how do you keep serving the poor and the sick? And look at what she said. Whenever I meet someone in need, she said, it's really Jesus in his most distressing disguise. And then uh, I agree with that activist Shane Claiborne. When he was asked, what's the solution to all the rich Christians in American churches? You know, they don't care about the poor. And, he's, and here's what he said. He said, I come to see that the great tragedy of the churches is not that rich Christians do not care about the poor, but that rich Christians do not know the poor. So I guess here's the question for you and I is, it, you know, not are you given handouts, but do you know anyone that's poor? Because the kingdom is relationship. See, I'm not asking you to give money to some cause today. I'm asking you to give into a relationship with someone. Relationships with the poor give us empathy. Um, I've got a friend that says it's really hard to hate someone when you know their story, you know? Relationships help us to know what to do and what not to do to enable or not enable someone, don't they? Relationships are what the poor want. There's dignity in a relationship more so than just a handout. Relationships are more costly than money because your heart starts to care. But there's this connection between relationships with the poor and our relationship to God. That's why Proverbs 19, 17 says, if you help the poor, you're lending to who? The Lord, and he will repay you when I relate to the poor. I'm the one that always gets more. Now, certainly we've already said, and we will say again, that getting more is not always money. It's so much more holistic than that. It's the joy that we feel when another human being is helped by our efforts. And, you know, because of where our church is located, every day I leave here, you know, there are a lot of days when I walk out these doors, I am forced to make a decision how I'll interact with the poor. Because sometimes I'm just greeted outside the Cameo Theater with someone in need, you know? And a lot of those times, more is deposited into me than what's taken from me. And I brought a couple, you know, sometimes what I experience out here is kind of interesting. So I'll pick it up on my camera phone. And so I brought a couple of videos that I took just over the past couple of years that brought some joy to my heart. And so I brought them for you and hopefully they'll be encouraging to you to take a look. You make a way, you make a way, I know, yeah. Keep your faith strong and firm. And I'm going to make that way. That's what he told me one day. Today I stand firm and true. My heart mm, beat because he knows you. And I believe, I believe he going to make that way. Love you, brother. 
Tell the folks from uh, City Tribe Church what you I'm Aaron Brimmer from Elmira, New York. City Tribe Church helps always me out when I'm in need. They give me products for my hygiene, stuff for my, my body. They help me out. And godly, we love City Tribe. Aaron Brimmer, New hey, York. Aaron, put that new shirt on, bro. Yes, sir. We're going to put on the new shirt. Yeah, buddy. Aaron, you're looking good in that City Tribe shirt, bro. That's what I'm like. So, look. I don't know too many guys that get to enjoy that. And because of your generosity to folks around, you know, Aaron wasn't encouraging to me. And uh, because of your generosity around here, I get to walk out and Marlon like serenades me with a song. I feel blessed because of that. Because when I give to the poor, relate to the poor in relationship without a handout, I'm the one that always gets more. And one of the things you got to understand about the kingdom of God is that in God's eyes, some of the greatest members of his kingdom are not the people who know how to build their personal brand, right? Not always the people that have the most Instagram or Spotify followers, but in his kingdom, sometimes it's people who serve the poor in obscure parts of the world, like Fidel and Marianita Rubio, who served the Tarahumara and bring in orphan kids, give them a place to stay. It's like, uh, it's also the Giampis, Ruth and Emmanuel, whose little unair conditioned church in Liberia, Africa has the only medical clinic for miles and they provide clean water in the lower Virginia community and other communities around them. It's also like many city tribers that work regular jobs during the day and sometimes on weekends serve under-resourced children at Kids City and at City Youth and others in tribe groups and some go over to Strong Foundation Ministry for Homeless Families that you guys support and play with children while their parents are in a class bettering themselves. Some of you are so great in the kingdom for your efforts and I want to show you a little description of the kingdom of the future. It's Isaiah 25 and 55. Isaiah says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. Look at this. A banquet of aged wine. Except for you alcoholics. <laughs> the best of meats. Like at the Shuascaria. And the finest of wines. The Lord has spoken. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Look at the last part. Even if you have no money. See, what I want you to understand today is that the kingdom of God is a relational shuhaskaria. That's what it is. And here's the thing you got to understand is that whether you have a lot of money or a little money, we're all poor before him. Christ followers are just the beggars who have found the bread. See? And the only reason we get to partake of the shuhaskaria in the kingdom is because though Jesus was rich beyond what we can fathom or comprehend, he became poor so that we could be rich in the kingdom of God. Let's bow for prayer.
And as we bow before him, if you've never known him and you'd like to know him, just talk to him in your own heart right now and receive a gift that you couldn't earn if you wanted to. And just tell him, look, God, I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up. But right now I choose to believe that Jesus, though you were rich, you became poor and died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And you rose again from the dead to give me new kingdom life. And the rest of us who have known you, we say, God, we remind ourselves today of the blessing that is with the poor. And God, some of us, our hearts grow hard. And we've seen so many scammers and all of that. But we choose to soften our hearts today. Because with that next cardboard sign that says we'll work for food. May be a blessing an encounter with you in one of your more distressing disguises. So we look for you, Jesus. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Well, as we wrap up, like I said earlier, next week we'll talk about when helping hurts and we'll unpack some of the practical ways that we can consider how we serve here in the urban core. Also, this Friday night, um, the cameo is going to be rocking. We're going to have like karaoke here with our street friends. So you've never lived until you've done karaoke with homeless people. Now, Priscilla tells me that you guys filled up all the volunteer slots last week. That's pretty cool, right? And you guys are bringing supplies as well to help out. And so if you really want to come to the karaoke thing, you can go out there and beg Priscilla. Just say, I'll make myself useful. Okay, something like that. But um, maybe she'll hook you up. But anyways, before we take off, let's stand together. And I'll remind you about our offering. We don't make a big deal about our offering here. And we don't pass buckets or plates. But there are four ways to get that done by mail, text, on the website or at the giving station. So um, let me speak some words over here, and I hope they'll be true of you uh, by way of benediction. Dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from here, may you consider the poor in relationship. May you grow in new relationships with the poor, knowing you'll always get more when you encounter Jesus in one of his distressing disguises. Go from here and encounter him and the Shuaskaria of the kingdom of God. You guys have an amazing week, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.